You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Before we get into um, looking at the, the Word together, as I don't get many opportunities to be with you, I thought I'd just give you a couple of updates or things just uh, from amongst what's happening with us as a family of churches, just to perhaps help you see the bigger picture of what's happening. How many of you have been to uh, an Enough Prayer Evening? Okay, quite a lot. That's great. That's majority of you. Um, let me encourage you, please, when the next one comes along in November, please come again. And if you've not been to one, then please get involved. Uh, the reason I mention enough, perhaps, as um, one of the most significant things we're doing is that I honestly believe that God has spoken to us about investing in large-scale corporate prayer. And um, as we've begun to do this three times a year now, we're, the last time we did it, uh, we're now partnering not just with us, all of our churches, but we're partnering with Edward, Berea, and Kenya. And last time we had about 6,500 people all together in that same night, all praying at the same time, apart from slight time difference, <laughs> uh, into the mainland of Europe and Kenya. Um, and uh, we've been doing that now for a few years. And I honestly believe that if I you know, only get a few minutes just to sort of say something to you about relational mission and where we're going. So I thought, well, what's the best thing to say? And honestly, I think corporate prayer, if we keep investing in that, I honestly believe that we will start to get to the point where we see more and more uh, uh, weekly conversions. I'm praying for monthly baptisms across all our churches. I'm praying that there's a momentum that God ignites. And to be honest, that is only going to come. It's only going to come through us praying. And uh, enough is just our way of doing it. And uh, I genuinely believe that the more we invest in it, the more we will see. It's a bit like we're, uh, if we were like um, farmers and sort of sowing seed. We have to understand the dynamics of prayer. If, if you're a farmer and you sow the seed and then you get up the next day, you don't expect the, all the field to be sort of gently wafting in the breeze. It, it doesn't work like that. Even the Bible says that's not how farming works. But I understand there's a process, there's a... There's a dynamic, there's a, there's a way God things, has arranged things. So they, they work in a certain way. And prayer is a bit like that. We sow and then we water and then we keep watering and we keep praying, we keep praying, we keep praying. And then there comes that moment when God begins to germinate uh, all the fullness of what he uh, has in store. And then you begin to see things emerging that you think, how did that happen? Uh, so I believe these years we're beginning to sow into praying. When... when um, Jonathan Edwards, who first did this kind of model that we're, uh, we've picked up with enough. Jonathan Edwards, famous sort of revival preacher back in, uh, in the States some years ago. And then William Carey picked up the same model. Jonathan Edwards, when they started doing it, he said, we're going to do this for seven years, whether anything happens or not. So they invested in this long, long period of corporate prayer. And as we know, um, if you read uh, church history, you'll know that Great Awakenings uh, accompanied that season of prayer, both for Edwards and for Carey. Uh, and I believe we can play our part. So I know prayer sometimes feels like going to the gym and having a bit of a workout, but it does give you spiritual muscle, and it does produce spiritual fruitfulness. And we all want to be as healthy and fit and as muscular as I look, don't we? <laughs> yes, indeed we do. Uh, so may I encourage you, let's just keep on keeping on with prayer. And the other thing I would encourage you to do, rather than go through lots of things we're doing, is um, we wrote this book, or I wrote this book some time ago, Relational Mission, A Way of Life, because as we are a family of churches spread across a wide geography, and we don't always have a gathering point where everyone's together and we can talk directly to everybody, a book seemed a good way of just presenting what it is we're about, what are the, what are the things that really matter to me and to us as we go forward together. So there's just, it's very easy, easy reading, there's seven chapters which is almost like a seven-point manifesto of things that are important to us going forward. So if you haven't got hold of a copy of this, please get one. Uh, they're online or they're in Kindle, and you can probably even get them from the church, and you may even be able to get them cheaper from the church, and you can get them online. I've been very encouraged. We've sold about 2,500 of these so far, and my hope was that we would get one in the hands of everybody in our churches so that we're all kind of on the same page, right? This is what we're going for. These are the things that really matter to us. So may I encourage you to do that? And none of that comes to me. It's not my holiday fund. All right? That's just purely going back in. Every bit of profit goes to church planting and what have you. So I'd love to encourage you to, 
to read that and to get familiar with what we're doing. Now, um, Joshua chapter 1, if you'd like to turn to that, and I've just got someone who's going to read that for us before we look at that together. Thank you, Rob. So if you'd like to turn to it, that'd be great. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and, the Leb- and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you, nor will I forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord, your God, is giving you to possess." And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord, your God, is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan, But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses the servant of the Lord gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you have commanded them, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Great, thank you very much, Rob. I wanted to talk this morning about some of the ingredients involved when God begins to move in the life of a person or begins to move in the life of a a church and take them into a new season, begin to take them into, uh, prepare them for a new season of his purposes. Maybe 
Some of you sort of think, well, what has God got for me? Maybe as a church you think, what has God got for us? Well, I think we can learn from Joshua chapter 1 some of the ingredients, the things that seem to happen in the life of an individual, as we see here with Joshua, and then corporately as it outworked for everybody, uh, as God began to take them from, a, from one phase into another. There was a m- massive change, as we'll find out as we go through this. And I think the first thing we have to say is, when God um, gets hold of, God has purposes, he gets hold of people. You, know, you, you and I have been apprehended by Christ. And those of you who know Jesus this morning, those of you who have received him, into your hearts. You, you may feel as though you found Christ. You may feel as if you prayed and you responded and you gave your life to Christ. But let me tell you, behind that, he apprehended you firstly. God moved upon every single one of us who knows him in such a way that without that movement, none of us would have ever come to know Christ. None of us would have ever found him. Sometimes you can look at people and you think, oh, I think they'd make a nice Christian. No, they wouldn't. It's totally impossible to find someone who's more likely to become a Christian than someone else. We were all, the Bible says, by nature, objects of wrath, things that were vile, offensive, just totally cut off from God. No spiritual life in us whatsoever, nothing to commend us to God, nothing that would ever find Him, nothing that would make us usable by Him, nothing that would make us lovable from Him. And yet God in His mercy, the Bible says, while we were still in that condition, God loved us. God did something, He apprehended us. You, if you know Jesus this morning, have been chosen, called and redeemed by His initiative. You just feel the impact of it. Yes, you've got to respond to it and, and, and uh, embrace His dealings, both in coming to Christ and also as we live with God now. But it all begins with him. And so with Joshua, God had apprehended Joshua, made him his own, and he'd got him to this point where God's purposes are now going to begin to unfold in his life fully and dramatically. Joshua had taken quite a long while to get to this point, and maybe those of you who have been Christians for a while, you kind of feel, do you know what, I still feel there's more in my life that God wants to do. Sometimes we can, quite, we can get impatient. Even in church life, we can think, oh, Lord, we want more. We believe you for more. There's more that God's called us to. Well, you're in good company with people in Scripture. We find that whether it's Paul or Abraham or David or Christ himself with 33 years of life and the 30 of those are spent in obscurity, just dealings with him and his father for three years of fruitfulness. You know, God is not in a rush. He's preparing us and he's been preparing Joshua for this moment. He'd apprehended Joshua for this moment in his life. It may be that some of you, there's things God's going to begin to break out in your life in new ways. Well, let's look at how God prepared and then propelled Joshua into this this new phase. And the first thing we notice is that in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, After the death of Moses... There's this common thing that you often find when God begins to work in our lives, to move us from one thing into another period of fruitfulness, a different thing God wants to do with us individually or as a church. You often find this, a transition takes place. Moses had been a hugely dominant figure in the landscape. He'd been leading this people. They felt secure. They knew who they were. Everything was completely uh, navigated by reference to this dominant figure, Moses, who'd been leading them through into all the purposes of God. Now suddenly this season uh, changed, and Joshua's the one now brought into uh, prominence, brought into the situation. A whole load of transitions taking place. Now, I don't know about you, but none of how many of you like change? Some people do. How many people like change? Oh, you're a bit more timid in the first service. A lot of hands went up in the first service. But uh, So how many don't like change? Are we, some of you don't know whether you like change. Oh, you can't be bothered. I don't care. Now, the point is, whether you like change, and I like change or not, guess what? It is going to come. Change is inevitable. Change, transition, adjustment, things come, things go. It can be in our work. You know, it can be just, I don't know, in your employment, things going along just nicely, and then suddenly something happens. You think, whoa, it's very disorientating. What, what is all this? It can make you feel very unsettled, very, can be very unpleasant, very challenging. Maybe it's a change in, in family dynamics. It can make you feel very lonely, very, very vulnerable. It can even make you blame others. It can even make you blame God. 
can even make you mistake the sovereign providence of God for the work of the devil. We can find sometimes praying to God for deliverance from the thing that God has initiated. Because sometimes God does things in order to get us from somewhere to somewhere better because he's got something more and better and more fruitful for us to do. And that cannot happen unless something changes. A period of transition is involved now where Moses is gone, Joshua is now in place. He'd moved from the safety of the harbor, the shelter of his familiar, to be somewhat cast on an open sea with no navigation whatsoever, no no previous experience of what he's now been propelled in by God. Any of you ever felt like that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's common, actually, not only to life, but it's common to the Christian life. Becoming a Christian does not remove change or transition. It just means we've got someone in charge of all that process, which is actually pretty good news. But it doesn't stop us feeling a bit vulnerable. I was talking to someone after the... First meeting is going through quite a lot of change at the moment. It's quite familiar that sometimes we go through those seasons. And before Joshua, this is the key thing to remember, before Joshua could come into all the things that God had called him to do, he had to go through a period of somewhat being unsettled, changed, vulnerable in his personal circumstances. It was inevitable and it had to happen before God propelled him into what he got for him. I dare say that that often also should happen at church level. We think, well, I've got it all nice now, and then God messes it all up. We, not in a bad way, but it's in a change way. And we think, well, don't do it like we used to. It's not like it used to be. It's, uh, we don't know where we're going. It's all very up in the air. Not everyone's got all the answers. No, transition produces that. And that's why our anchor needs to be always in God, not in the circumstances around us. That's just a good way of learning to live. Because everything that's settled inevitably will become unsettled. God is the one that we, is unchanging. Always the same that we can rely on. So transition sets in. The second thing we notice in verse 2 is God says to Joshua, now arise, therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people. Well, that's a great vision, but he didn't give him a lot of detail. So what is actually that teaching us? What is teaching this? Joshua simply had to have faith that what God had said, he was going to come good on. If you're anything like me, sight feels a lot easier than faith. We like to just see how it's going to work out. You feel like that? like to be able to figure it all out. Well, if that happens, I can see that, then that, then that, then that. That is, the moment we can see how something's going to work out, faith evaporates. Because faith and sight are completely opposite. Faith is the ability to say, Lord, you be I believe you've asked me to do this. I believe you've asked us to do this. I've got no idea at the moment how you're going to do that. But like Abraham, I'm just going to set out with what I can do at this moment so that you can begin to work your purposes out. And Joshua had to kind of demonstrate his faith in some way, which he did by saying to everybody in verse 10, get yourselves ready. He didn't quite know how it was going to happen, but he said, get yourselves ready. God's going to get us over. That's what faith looks like. And if you want to make a difference for God in this world, you want to make a difference for God? It's not going to happen without faith. For you as a church, if you think, yeah, we want to really impact this town, perhaps touch some other nations, uh, uh, be very fruitful, it, it cannot happen without faith. Jesus, when he says, when the Son of Man comes, he'll be looking to find faith on the earth. Will he find it? He's looking he doesn't look for our abilities, he doesn't look for our education, he doesn't look for anything within us that commends us to him other than this one simple ingredient. Do we believe him? Which means we trust him to make good what he said he's going to do. I want to encourage you as a church, have an environment of faith that just believes God, even when things look impossible. If God said it, hold on to him. Hold on to him. Faith is a lifestyle, not an emergency life jacket for occasions when we might need it. It's a lifestyle. Our very next breath is a gift of God. It's not an inevitability. 
We've got to have faith that God is good, therefore he'll keep us all alive for the end of this meeting. Some of you, I hope that's going to be the case. Some of you might have gone already. Glory. So you think, well, no, faith is just for the big things in life. No, faith is, believe you, that when you lay your head down on the pillow tonight, you'll wake up in the morning. You think, oh, no, I just naturally do that. No, you don't. You're kept by God's grace. Are we not? So we have to actually become more insecure before we become secure. Because we actually realize that the things that we think are there are not there. The things we can do on our own, we can't do on our own. Can't even draw breath unless God gives us that. And we have faith to believe that he is the author, the sustainer and finisher of our lives. So it's a lifestyle that Joshua could only really embrace this call of God on his life if he really knew, do you know what? I need to be a man of faith. You need to be a man or woman of faith for you to completely do what God has asked you to do. The next thing we find is uh, in verse 5. He says, uh, God says to Joshua, No man will be able to stand against you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. So, here it comes, I will be with you. Those five words are game changers in our lives. I will be with you. If you and I have nothing else but God's presence, that's enough. That's enough. God doesn't give Joshua all of the details, all of the resources. He doesn't tell him how he's going to do it. He just says, all you need to know for now is I will be with you. I don't know, obviously, everybody's circumstances here this morning. You might have all kinds of things going on in life. Maybe as a church, you'll come to great big Jordans ahead, and you'll think, I don't know how we're going to do this. All you need to know is this. If God said it, I will be with you. It's this great fortifying promise that enabled Joshua to then go for it. God says, no, just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. It may not change our situation immediately, but it completely changes the perspective we have on our situation. When we realize God is with me in this, that alters the framework with which we view things. Perhaps today you're facing extraordinary pressures that are quite weighty. Allow his promise that he will be with you and is with you to be the star that navigate, helps you navigate rather than worry, fretfulness or whatever. I will be with you. Therefore, our priority, our priority must be fellowshipping with him. If he said, I'm going to be with you, then our priority is to fellowship with him so that we draw on his presence if there's anything a church needs to become really good at doing, it's cultivating an enjoyment of the presence of God. Anything as an individual Christian, you and I need to become good at. It's learning how to enjoy and cultivate the presence of God. God is always with us. We've just got to become even better at learning to enjoy his presence. That's, that's something that we have to learn. The next thing in verse 6 what, uh, another ingredient when God's beginning to move in our lives and prepare us for things he wants to do. In verse 6 it says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. We find here the power of prophecy. God promises, makes a prophetic promise to Joshua of what's going to happen. You are going to lead this people into the land. Praise God for the power and the abundance of prophetic leading. How many of you have ever had a prophetic word over your lives? Like a prophetic word. That's good. Numbers of you. Let me encourage you. All of us should be very open, desirous, and willing, and embracing of any moment God speaks to us personally by His Spirit, giving us prophetic promises, prophetic guidance, prophetic uh, illumination upon what we're called to do, who we're called to be, what he's doing in our lives. We should value prophecy very, very highly. 
The church is built on the foundations of apostles and prophets. And that's not Old Testament prophets, that's New Testament prophets. Paul, when he's dealing with the church in Corinth, which wasn't particularly handling spiritual gifts very well, he didn't shut it all down and say, well, let's not bother with prophetic stuff, let's just have some preaching from the Word. No, he said, I would love you all to speak in tongues, but even more, even more that you all prophesy. Prophecy strengthens people. It's for your encouraging, encouragement, strengthening, and consolation. It is a powerful thing. Joshua, right at the beginning of his ministry, God says to, me, God says to him, you are going to take these people over the, over the Jordan into the land. How strength, God said that so that it might be strengthening for Joshua when he faced those moments of uncertainty, when he faced, navigated away, I think, how am I going to do this? No, no, God, you've said, you've said, you've said. For you and I to have things in our lives where we can constantly go back to God and say, no, Lord, you said, you said. It helps fuel our prayer life. Make sure if God has spoken to you, you don't just open your filing cabinet and file it under P for prophecy. Never look at it. That is not why God spoke to you. As a church, if God has given you promises, don't file them in a cabinet somewhere and someone discover them 20 years later, blow the dust off and say, oh look, God said that. God gives you things, prophetic promises, so that you pray into them and so that you position yourselves ready to make it easy for God to do what he said to do. We don't make it happen and prophecy has to be weighed and tested and handled well and all that kind of stuff. It's got to be handled well, past the litmus test of encouragement, consolation, uh, uh, and those sorts of things. It's got to be uh, able to be uh, tested and weighed. But when we know God has spoken, we have to be like um, um, clay in God's hands, soft clay, so that we position ourselves, we position ourselves ready so that when God begins to outwork what he said, he, we are easy for him to work with. Are you easy for God to work with? It's a good question to ask yourself. Am I easy for God? Does God find it easy to work with me? I guess all of us have been in workplace situations where you've had a colleague who's not been particularly easy to work with. Anyone remember that? Yeah, you think, oh, why are you so difficult to work with? Pain in the neck. You know, it doesn't help dynamics, does it? You want to have people you're working with who are easy to work with. We understand each other, communicate well, try and work for the team, get on the same page together. Well, why do we think it's any different working with God? God speaks to us, says what he wants to do, and then we face the opposite direction. It's not easy for him. He just has to pound the, the clay and put some water in it again and get it all, get it nice and soft and right, let's try again. We've got to keep ourselves very malleable so it's easy for God to work with. That's why Paul said to Timothy, when Timothy was at a key moment about his ministry, Paul said to him, look, line up your life in keeping, in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. He said, Timothy, don't go over there, don't go over there, don't face this direction. No, line your life up in keeping with what God said to you. Position yourself. Ready, easy for God to work with. Make yourself, don't get sidetracked by uh, attractive offers and things that just need fixing, but they're not for you to do. No, keep yourself in the lane, in keeping with the prophecies made about you. If there's one piece of advice it's really important to give, whenever you get any prophetic input into your life, keep yourself positioned well so that when God starts to move, it's easy for him to work with you. As a church, not to hold back when God asks big things of us, if he's given us promises, it doesn't matter how difficult or how impossible the task seems. If God has said it, position yourself so it's easy for God to work through you corporately. Next thing we can see uh, in terms of things that God has to prepare us for when he's going to move is in verse 6. God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And then in verse 9, he says it again, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed. And then he says it again later, and then you find that even in, the, even in the last verse, in verse 18, all the people start saying, uh, you know, we'll do what you tell us, only be strong and courageous. Now, why is this repeated so many times, 
and repeated by God and even taken up as, a, as an anthem by the people. Why, why, should, why should this um, uh, attention be given to Joshua being strong and courageous? Well, I think it's for this reason. Internal issues are often the defining factor before anything else as to whether we will fully achieve everything God has asked us to do. Our internal issues affect the outcome far more than the external circumstances. So God speaks to Joshua as much, if not more, about his character, his personal development, and his internal issues, he speaks to him more about that than he does about the task he's actually causing, calling him to. He just repeatedly says to him, don't fail to be bold and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be timid. Don't be anxious. That's because God knows that there's something within Joshua that if God doesn't continually um, help him, speak to him, keep him back online, he knows that Joshua may well be influenced more by internal issues and making decisions that will actually make him less fruitful than God wants him to be. Now, what does that mean for us? What it, what it means for us is this. I, I would say that and I've been a Christian a long while and I've seen many, many very, very capable, gifted, promising people whom God has called to do very, very many fruitful things for his kingdom, without question. And yet I've seen many people not fail, sorry, many people fail to inherit and to do everything God said he wanted to do with them. And when I reflect back on that, most of the time I would say it's because they did not give sufficient focus and attention to internal issues that needed to be managed, monitored, surrendered, sanctified, crucified, mortified, whatever else, fried, Kentucky fried, anything. They failed to give the attention necessary. Now, all of us have got internal issues that mitigate against God's kingdom. All of us have. That's because, although we are righteous in Christ, our flesh is still alive and well. And our emotions, our personalities, our dysfunction, things that have happened to us in our lives, things that are products of how we are, things that are just part of our family DNA, things, our, our, our history, our, our upbringing, all kinds of things affect our flesh. But they do not have to dominate how we live. We are new creations in Christ. We don't have to be how our forefathers have always been. We can, if we give and surrender internal issues to Christ, we can let him bring more and more of his likeness in place of our weakness. When Jesus got hold of the, the first disciples, they were just unschooled, just ordinary people, and yet when they were before the Sanhedrin, it says, being accused, it says, these, they took note, these men had been with Jesus. Something about these men had been so transformed by being with Jesus, allowing Jesus to transform their internal issues into things that reminded people of Jesus. And it's not just... The interesting thing about this chapter, I think, is it's not just God who speaks to Joshua about his internal issues, and it's just me and Jesus being sanctified. No, everybody else jumps in as well. No, be strong and courageous. They say it in unison. The entire, the entire family of God, the entire nation of God can see what everybody can see. He's a bit scared. So God's on his case. Everybody else is on his case. Is it because they're just trying to tear him down? No, it's because they want the best for him. They say to him, no, we'll do whatever you tell us, but only be strong and courageous. You know, don't. Be governed by who you were. Don't be governed by who you naturally might want to be. Be governed by the Spirit of God making you more like Jesus. You get it? This is internal issues. I think that's why this is such a dominant theme in the chapter. When the whole book pivots almost on God identifying, clarifying, and dealing with something that would have tripped him up if he had not surrendered it. 
Now, just to be honest with you, there's things in my life that I know are internal issues. It's not like we, we pray about them and they disappear into the ether, never to be thought of again. If Joshua had a tendency to be afraid, that tendency is probably never likely to go completely. But it is very possible that the things we naturally, by disposition, might be more vulnerable to can get to a point where actually the likeness of Christ has become much more of a dominating force in our lives and these things become less and less of a, less and less of a factor in how we behave, speak, speak, feel or think. Yeah? We do not have to be products of our environment. Do you believe that? Well, I don't care what anybody else has said about you individually. Oh, you're always going to be like that. You're never as clever as your sister. You're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to be this. You're never going to be articulate. You're never going to be a leader. You're never going to be... I don't care what anybody says about you or me. All I care about is what God says about you and then lining my life up so that my internal issues do not be the dominating factor in what I can or cannot achieve. In actual fact, when I am weak, as Paul said, then I'm strong. So I'll boast all the more about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. So our internal issues are not a disqualification. They're only a disqualification if we put them aside and pretend we haven't got them. Because, and the other thing I've found being a Christian all these years is we're all basically the same. <laughs> we are. If you think, oh, I don't know if anyone struggles with this. I, I can't even tell my friends. I don't expect anybody thinks like this. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, yes, they do. Because there's no temptation taken to you except which is common. 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 Everybody, everybody feels it. And one of the great things about it, one of the great ways a church can become really, really strong is by being vulnerable, transparent, and open with each other in a safe way. You know what I mean by that? so that we actually are real. We're real. Jesus can use real people with real issues, real problems, real challenges, who are willing to let him transform their weakness into his strength. That's what God is doing with Joshua. He's saying, be strong and courageous. Come on, let me help you to be the man you need to be to do what I've asked you to do. Don't be defined by your natural tendencies in this. You can't do it. Let me get hold of it. And as I say, I would say that there's things I can chart all the way through my life where I've had the same issues again and again and again, but they become less and less influential. They become more and more subject to the Spirit of God. And I actually learn to be able to rely on God more in His strength and His character and how He feels about things and how I naturally would myself. And I think that should be the journey for all of us. That's what sanctification means, becoming more like Him. Leading ourselves is much harder than leading other people. But you can't lead other people unless you've learned to lead yourself. You'll fall off your bike. I oh, can get back on it again, but who wants to fall off at all? So internal issues are really important. Next thing. Very quickly, you still with me? Yeah. Right, a couple more things. In verse 8, we find, he says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will, for, sorry, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. In just the same way as we need to be very, very open, receptive, and awash with the prophetic and spiritual moves of God in our midst, we also need to be those who are totally, completely saturated in solid, good, biblical awareness. So often, over church history, you find churches either go so much into the Spirit because they're not founded on the Word of God and they go off into all sorts of strange things, or you find churches so full of uh, knowledge and education and, uh, and information about the Word, but they've got nothing igniting of the Spirit to actually breathe life into it. You find in the first chapter, God puts a foundation of Word and Spirit into Joshua's roots so that what he produces is a Spirit-led but well-taught group of people. 
That's what church should look like. Meditate on this day and night. It's nothing new under the sun. Don't find fads. Don't find current winds of doctrine. But meditate on what's in here. Don't let it depart from your mouth. Then be careful to do it. Make sure you build well. Stick to the main and the plane. Don't get caught off track. Don't follow off on the little side tracks and have petty little doctrines. Don't know. Meditate. Depart. Uh, don't depart from it. For then it will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. We are not looking for a newfangled answer so the church suddenly becomes relevant. We need to learn to present what's been there for centuries in a way that connects. It's the same old, same old. It really is. We're sinners. Jesus died for us. God loves us. Receive Christ. Go to heaven. I mean, it really is that simple. It needs a bit of filling out. But it's never going to be a different story. We stick to the main and the plain. And then have the Holy Spirit bring powerful prophetic and, and utterances and healings and demonstrations to back up. To back up what we've said. Which is what Paul said in Romans 15. He talks about powerful signs and wonders to demonstrate what he'd been saying. Word and spirit going together. We've got to learn to flow in both. When I became a Christian, I was involved in the Navigators, where you, you just did a lot of memory verse stuff. So I used to go to work, and I'd have a little verse from Psalms on a post-it note, and I'd stick it in my coat, and I'd just kind of think about it. I'd get to work, and I'd open my locker. I'd stick it on the locker, so you open the door. There it is. Perhaps for two or three days, I'd have the same verse there, and I'd just chew it over. I'd think it over. I'd pray it over. I'd memorize it. In those early days, it put into me the Word of God. If you put in and learn to stand on the Word of God, then when the Spirit of God then baptized me later, I had a safe foundation upon which to begin to see God move. If church can become like that, where we're solid in the Word, safe in the Word, but powerful in the Spirit and extraordinary demonstrations of supernatural power, that's exactly what God was trying to do with Joshua and putting a foundation into him. Then the last thing we notice in God's preparation of Joshua is this. In verse 10, Joshua commanded the officers of the people. And in verse 16, it says, They answered Joshua, All that you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Verse 17, Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he, as he was with Moses. Wouldn't it be amazing... If uh, I don't know if you're in some employment and you're a boss, or if you're in church and you're in charge of some sort of, you know, area of ministry, or you lead a life group, and everybody says to you the first night they turn up, whatever you say, we're going to do. Well, how many people would love that if, if you walked into work tomorrow morning, and everybody said, uh, "Excuse me, before we start work, just to say, uh, whatever you say, we'll do." Wouldn't that be good? Slightly scary, but wouldn't it be good? You think, well, yes, well. I'm glad finally you're seeing it my way. <laughs> we, we'd all like, we, we think well, that would be so easy leading. Wouldn't that be so easy leading? Imagine God made you a leader of something and all those you're leading said, whatever you say, we'll do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of, you know, is, it, well, is, this, is this a dream? No, but they, they, they initiated it. They came to him and said, whatever you say, we'll do. He didn't ask them, would you do that? No, they said, whatever you say, whatever you say, we'll do it. What is it that would possibly lead any human being to say to another human being, whatever you say to me, I'll do? Well, I'll tell you what it isn't first. See, there's, there's two sorts of authority. There's external authority and there's internal authority. External authority has a badge saying manager or a business card saying apostle. Or a t-shirt saying, department leader. Now, you may well have the t-shirt. You may have gone and got it printed yourself. <laughs> you can do that. Go and get one saying, I'm in charge of Hope Church. <laughs> Wear it next week. See what happens. <laughs> and then start trying to behave in line with what your t-shirt says. I don't think you'll get the same result that Joshua did. Whatever you say, we'll do. Why is that? It's because all you've done is applied external authority. And people 
don't respond to external authority. What they do respond to is internal authority. Internal authority can often be quite hidden. It doesn't boast, it doesn't put itself forward, it doesn't advertise itself, it doesn't try to assert itself, it just cannot help but be influential because it's anointing. Internal authority is a bit like a muskox. Now, a muskox, at certain times of the year, will go and stand in a field on its own, and it will smell. <coughs> it will just smell, because that's what its name suggests. It's a musk ox, and it has a certain musk that it gives off at certain times of year. Now, it doesn't matter if it's miles away from any other muskox. If it's got, it doesn't have to have a Facebook account. It doesn't have to have a website. It doesn't even have to have a T-shirt saying, I am a muskox. Come and join me. It just needs to stand in a field and smell. And what will happen is its influential internal authority will spread far and wide. And in other fields somewhere... Other muskoxes who are looking for companionship and leadership will go, I smell authentic muskox. <laughs> and they will start to migrate towards the field where our muskox is just standing, eating grass or whatever else muskoxes eat. And soon a whole collection of other muskoxes will be in that field with him simply because all he's done is give off of the internal authority that he has been graced with. Now, how does that apply to you and me? It applies in this way. Just stand in a field and smell. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically. I can remember somebody who, I, I, some years ago, I'd asked someone to begin to just help in a certain area of church life. And they said, well, yeah, I'm happy to do that, but before I start... Could you just tell everybody that I'm now running this department? And I said, no. Because I want you to demonstrate your internal authority by the way you serve, so that in due course, everybody will smell your musk. And they will come to me and say, look, so-and-so's been doing this for what they really... The grace of God on them is just so evident why don't you ask them to take more responsibility? Because we really, we love being led by them. We, we love just seeing what God's doing with them. So, you know, you get to the point, it's always best with ministry and, uh, and when we emerge into what God's called us to do, it's always best to emerge rather than arrive. Right? I've seen far too many people arrive. Have you met people that have arrived? They're never really much of an arrival. But people emerge according to the grace that God is on them. Joshua emerged because they could see, they could see, no, he, God spoke, had dealings with this, with this man. They could see, no, God's had dealings with him. But, Joshua, we, we know you're not superhuman, so just be bold and courageous, all right? We can see the hand of God on you, but just so you know, we know you're only human. But they could still see there was something that God had done and was doing in him. So if you want to be fruitful for God, serve. Serve in line with the prophetic. Serve biblically. Serve accountably. Serve, 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 serve. And God will promote you into what he's called you to do by you simply, metaphorically, standing in your field and smelling. And your influence, the, the, the fragrance of Christ, as it were, to carry the metaphor, will begin to permeate the atmosphere around you. And then it's much easier to lead into what God... And you'll find that actually in the workplace. Do you know? You can be in an office full of people that don't know Jesus and there'll be something about your aroma of Christ. You don't have to have a title. You don't have to be at the top of the tree. But your influence, your influence will begin to affect the atmosphere of the office or the workplace. Just by your internal authority, you're an ambassador of Christ. Whether anyone gives you a title or not, your fragrance will begin to affect that atmosphere. 
And that's exactly the principle that Joshua had to learn as he was going to lead this people. So if you'd like to stand, I just want to pray for you as a church that God's going to begin to work out some of these things in your collective life and in individual lives as you go forward. Because I really believe God has got his hand on you as a church. It's so exciting to hear that you've got now two services, there's numbers more, numbers are increasing, they're starting to have baptisms. I've been praying, Lord, give us monthly baptisms in all of our churches. It's great. You've got one next week, is it? Whatever. Yeah, I mean, let's pray. Let's pray you have to have one every month. Wouldn't that be incredible? A lot of work, but that's what we're here for, aren't we? To the people come to Christ. So, Father, I just want to pray for this dear family here, Lord, this dear church family. I pray that they would cross over into what you've got for them, Lord, in this next phase. Lord, I do believe you've got some tremendous promises. There's some land ahead that you've got for them to, to take. And I pray, Lord, that they would, as to a man or a woman, say, Lord, we're in. We're in. And they would navigate it in just the same way as Joshua and the people did. Lord, I pray for powerful moves of the Spirit in this church. Powerful moves of the Spirit. I pray for healings. I pray for a, a prophetic culture that is, that is so, uh, so powerful that even non-believers walk in, as it says in Scripture, and the secrets of their heart are laid bare and they say, God is in this place. I pray for a prophetic culture to be birthed right now, Lord, that will take this church to a new level of prophetic and Holy Spirit demonstration in every meeting. I pray for even the children's work, Lord, for prophetic, for baptism of the Spirit, even upon young believers, Lord. We pray, Lord, that out of the mouths of children shall come prophetic utterance, Lord. Even in this church, let there be a prophetic hallmark of what you do. But Lord, with it, would you make this church such a clarion voice of authentic biblical preaching and teaching that people would know this as a safe place. They would know this as a safe place where the Word of God is taught and applied both in discipleship groups and in preaching in such a way that the authentic Word of God rings out through this town and into regions beyond. Lord, I pray that you would raise the level of what you're doing here, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that there would be whole new adventures for them. I pray for individuals here right now who have felt kind of even stirred this morning to freshly take hold of that for which God has taken hold of them. I pray, Lord, let nothing, let no internal issues cut in on anybody's race. Anyone, Lord, who's been struggling with things for years and it's, it's hindered them from becoming really fruitful as God want them. I break the power of that in Jesus' name and say, Lord, let there be a Holy Spirit visitation on every individual here so that whether it's by uh, accountability or prayer or a mixture of both, everybody walks free. Everybody walks free from that which would hinder them becoming all that God wants them to be in serving your purposes through this church. We ask it for Jesus' sake and for his glory. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.